Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a deck. Lights up. Lights up. Lights up. Lights up. Lights up. Lights up. A podcast by the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. Hello, my name is Chris Rosenzik Snyder. I am from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I will be playing Jimmy. Hello, this is Patrick Brady, and I'm coming to you from Winchester, Virginia, and I play Charlie. Lights up. Charlie sits slouched in his chair near the stage door. He has an old, well-worn throw pulled up around him. He is asleep. Jimmy enters and stands on the other side of the stage door, shivering from the cold. He pounds on the door, which awakens Charlie. Hello? Hello? Is anybody there? Hello? Can anybody hear me? What the? Hear ya? Jesus, they can hear you in Harlem. Go away. We are closed. What? We're closed. The virus, the pandemic. Do you live under a rock? Surely by now you gotta know that. No, but you don't understand. No, you don't understand, you numbskull. Now go away. Charlie? Charlie, it's me, Jimmy. I'm in the chorus. You're in the chorus of what? Well, I was in the chorus of West Side Story. I'm anxious. (laughs) Yeah, you sound anxious. No, no, I mean, I play anxious. Or rather, I played anxious before the pandemic shut us down. Anxious? I don't remember no anxious. Snowboy, mouthpiece, Arab, these I know. But I do not know no anxious. Okay, maybe you know me as Chorus Boy 7. (laughs) Chorus Boy 7. So now you're Chorus Boy 7? Well, not now, but before the virus, I was Chorus Boy 7. That's how the the director referred to me. Nice. What? He he couldn't call you by your name? Well, I didn't have any lines. It was a small part. Hey, hey, kid, there are no small parts. And in fact, now there are no parts, period, because we are closed. So please go on home now, anxious boy. No, 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 wait, Charlie, please. Could you please open the door? It's freezing out here. Look, kid, it ain't gonna happen. I ain't gonna open this door for a total stranger. But we're not strangers. You know me. I'm the chorus kid who stuck around to watch your card trick each night. Every night. You even showed me how some of the tricks were done. The the little kid with the bright eyes and the big smile. I do remember you. All the other chorus punks raced out each night. But you stayed to watch. I appreciated that. Yes, so could you... Please open the door. No, I'm sorry, but I'm not to open the door for no one. Come on, please. Just a few minutes. Just until I warm up. Okay, okay. But let me get the hand sanitizer. Do not touch the doorknob until you use the hand sanitizer. Charlie rises and looks for the sanitizer. Where is that stuff? Hold on, hold on. It's dark as pitch in here. He finally finds it in his pants pocket. He moves to the stage door, unlocks, and opens it, handing the sanitizer to Jimmy, who enters shivering. Jimmy uses the hand sanitizer. Okay, come in, but keep your distance. Six feet, they say. Oh my god, you 
You are shivering. Your lips are blue. Yes, I know. I'm freezing. Charlie takes the well-worn throw from the chair and puts it around Jimmy. Damn. Here, here, put this around you. It, it looks pretty seedy, but I promise you won't catch anything from it. And it's warm. Thank you, Charlie. Oh my. It's so nice and warm in here. Feeling better? Yes. I can almost feel my toes again. <laughs> well, that's a start. This place is kind of creepy at night. It's so dark. Yeah, well, it's not always this dark. I did something tonight I ain't never done before. I turned off that ghost light, the lamp there at center stage. Yes, I know what a ghost light is. I, I just thought, what's the point of keeping it burning? I mean, the theater is empty. The theater ain't going to have anything going on, probably for months. I know, but isn't that supposed to be bad luck in the theater? I guess. I mean, they say the light's function is to chase away the mischievous ghosts that are said to inhabit virtually every theater in the world. Theatrical folks are a superstitious lot. Wishing actors a, a broken leg instead of good luck. Avoiding whistling backstage and being careful not to say, I mean, the Scottish play. And they do say turning off the ghost light is going to bring bad luck. But considering where we are these days, I figured how much worse can it get? I totally get it. But that, of course, that was before you came pounding at the door. Jeez, oh, thanks. So what's going on? You're dressed like it's summertime. What the hell is wrong with you? Are you trying to catch your death? No. I just don't have any clothes for this weather. What? You didn't see it coming? It's freaking March in New York City. It's always colder than a penguin's pecker. I only recently came from Wickenburg. Wicken what? Wickenburg. A small town in Arizona. A small, hot town. It's like 80 degrees there today. I don't really have many clothes appropriate for this weather. You are going to get sick running around like that. Why are you even out on such a night? There's a curfew. You can get into a lot of trouble. My landlord threw me out. And he's keeping whatever belongings I do have as collateral for the back rent, including my only warm jacket. Damn. Well, he sounds like a real heartless jerk. Well, truth be told, I was already behind in my rent. And then, when the show closed, he said it was the last straw. That's horrible. So, are you going back to Wackenberg? Wickenburg. Wickenburg, yeah. No, I can't. I have no money. I can't even afford bus fare to Brooklyn, let alone Arizona. Maybe your folks could send you some, like a wire transfer? I just have my mom, and she has less money than me. Besides, it would break her heart. She was so proud of me getting into a Broadway show. It has been a dream that she and I have shared since I was a kid. That's kind of nice that you could share a dream like that. I think she originally probably wanted it for herself in the early days, but... Once she realized it wasn't going to happen for her, she decided to devote her efforts to see that someday it would happen for me. What about your dad? 
Was, was he cool with all of this? My dad left us when I was seven. Ran off with some floozy. A floozy? Uh-huh. Yeah, floozy. That was my mom's word for her. Oh, but it never slowed her down. My mom is strong-willed. Nothing slows her down. She spent every day since my dad walked taking care of me, looking out for me, trying to help me see my dream come true. Our dream. When I was a kid, in addition to her day job, she took in laundry at night just so I could afford to go to dance classes. And so when I got the part on Broadway, she lit up like a marquee. It would break her heart to see where I have ended up. But she must know about Broadway closing down. It is happening all over the world, even in Wackyburg. Wickenburg. Wickenburg, yeah. Yes, but I've convinced her it is just temporary and that I'm doing fine. I cannot let her know. So, what are you going to do? Is there a friend you can... No, I have no friends. I've been in rehearsals every minute since I arrived. I haven't had time to make friends. Where are you going to stay? Well... That's just it. I was hoping I could stay here. What? Here? Oh, (laughs) no, 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 no. That's not possible. Forget about it. Get that idea right out of your head. (laughs) But the theater is closed. You are the only one here. No one would have to know. No, no, no. I'm sorry. That is just not going to happen. But I have nowhere else to go. There must be somewhere. No, there's not. Why can't you just let me do this? I won't be a problem. Look... If I tell you something, you got to promise to tell no one. No, really, I mean it. If I help you out, you got to promise me. And not just for now. you got to promise me you will never... Okay. I promise. Never, ever. What is it? I am the night watchman here. But I also live here. What do you mean? I also got thrown out nearly 20 years ago, but not by a heartless landlord. I got thrown out by a heartless wife. So I moved in here and no one has ever been the wiser. Whoa, that's awful. Why would she do that to you? It wasn't her fault. Oh yeah, she was awful, but but I was worse. Not exactly faithful. And a bit of a drinker to boot. Uh, The marriage was doomed from day one. When she kicked me out, I was working here, but not making enough to get a place of my own. Not with child support I needed to pay. You've got a kid? Charlie takes out a photograph from his wallet. (laughs) Not so much a kid anymore. (laughs) Look, look, she's nearly 22. She's beautiful. Uh, She is, isn't she? Her name is Maria. Maria, say it loud and there's music playing. Yes, kind of ironic, right? And like your mom is proud of you, I am very proud of her. She is just finishing her senior year at the Yale Drama. Like you, she wants to be an actor. God only knows why. That's fantastic. But Yale, that's expensive. Are you paying her tuition? Not on this salary. No, she got a scholarship. But I do send her what I can. 
So, the secret is, I too am homeless, or would be, except I live here in the basement of the Broadway theater as I have for nearly 20 years, and nobody, well, until now, has ever known it. That's unbelievable. But why are you telling me? I mean, after all these years? I think now more than ever, we all need to do what we can to help each other. The world is in a mess. And I see you are in deep trouble. I want to help you. I think I'm going to start crying. Go on then, cry. This is a theater. We are supposed to feel free to express our emotions in this particular cathedral. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I'm also helping you because of my Maria. When she comes to New York, she too will struggle. All actors do, all artists do. I hope if she ever got into trouble, someone would help her too. Charlie, I cannot tell you how much this means to me. There are unused dressing rooms in the basement. There's a basement? Nobody knows it. And no one remembers the dressing rooms that are down there. It's from back in the day when the shows had casts of 60 or 70. I use the men's dressing room down there. You can use the women's. Okay. It's kind of a mess right now, but there's a couch to sleep on, and it's warm because you'll be near the furnace. I can't believe this. Charlie, I will never forget this day. You mean this night? It's nearly midnight. Yes, this night. Tonight. Tonight, tonight, won't be just any night. Tonight you became my morning star. Tonight, tonight, you saved my life tonight. And for us stars will stop where they are. Thank you, Charlie. My pleasure, friend. Here's to better times. To better times. Suddenly, the ghost light turns on. <gasps> it gets brighter. <laughs> they stare at it and each other. A total surprise. Lights fade. Hey, everybody. It's Gary, the producer for Lights Up, Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga's new podcast for playwrights, performers, and patrons of theater. I wanted to see if you've heard about Anchor. Anchor, the platform that's hosting our podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, well, I am happy to be the first to tell you about it. It is free. F-R-E-E. -E. That's right, free. Um, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer uh, or your phone. And Anchor will distribute the podcast that you create so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you know what else? It doesn't cost you anything, but you can make money from your podcast and you don't even have to have a minimum listenership. That's right. It's everything you need 
to make a podcast in one place. So do like we did. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, or anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started and create your podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Lights Up Season 2. I am your host, Dana, and I am joined by my fabulous co-host, Chelsea, as many of you know. Christy is off having two little babies. She's going to have twin babies, so we are joined by some fantastic guest co-hosts this season, and I've got Chelsea with me here today. Hello, everyone. I'm so glad to be back yet again. And Chelsea and I are joined by the fantastic Donald Loftus. And Donald is the playwright for the play you just heard. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, where are you joining us from? Uh, New York City. Oh, we're in New York. Me too. <laughs> are you uh, Upper East Side, 70th? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll chat about um, that later. Maybe we can meet in person. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to. And Chelsea, remind us again where you are coming from. I am coming out of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so thank you again. We thoroughly enjoyed listening to Tonight at the Stage Doors. I thought they did an amazing job. It was perfect. And the pacing and everything, I just really loved what they did. Um, prior, prior to our recording of this, um, have any other companies had a chance to perform this or are we the first? No, actually, it's been, um, I have had several. I mean, mostly, you know, because of the pandemic, mostly on Zoom. Um, it was even done in, in the UK. Um, but it's been, um, I, you know, I wrote it, obviously, since the pandemic started. And it's, I, I've had uh, like 18 uh, productions of it. So I'm very, very excited about that. So I have a question about uh, when in the during the pandemic did you write this? Was it early on or um, about when? Living in New York, I see a lot of theater, and um, and both as just someone who loves theater and also as a playwright, because I, you know, I learn a lot by going to see other people's plays, and so we see pretty much everything on Broadway and off Broadway. Um, we subscribe to several of the um, off-Broadway theaters like New York Theater Workshop, Signature in the Public, and then we see pretty much everything on Broadway. The last show I saw before the, before Broadway was shut down was um, uh, West Side Story, was this revival of West Side Story, which, is, which inspired the play and, in fact, uh, is where the play takes place. And um, I had not been in, the, in this theater. It's called the, the Broadway Theater. That's actually the name of the theater. And it's enormous. It's it's like the palace. It's huge. And I hadn't been in it for some time because something like Mama Mia or something ran for years and years and years. And I just hadn't been back to that theater. So I remember I went and said, again, this is just like the day before they shut down Broadway. Um, I get to the theater. I am overwhelmed at how beautiful this theater is. I am overwhelmed at how talented this cast is. It was a huge cast in a very controversial production of West Side Story. And, um, and very um, diverse, a very diverse cast of, of immense talent, and, and they, I knew none of them. And I thought, how exciting for these kids to get on Broadway in this show that is so spectacular, and, uh, and so on and so forth. The next day it shut down. And so I wrote the play like, uh, well, I began writing the play probably like six days later, thinking about 
these poor kids, they, they get to probably a dream come true to get into a Broadway show and then to just have it abruptly shut down. Not that there have been worse things that have happened to people during the pandemic, but, you know, just I thought how tragic this is for these kids who look so excited to be there. And so that's what sort of inspired the play. And it came fairly quickly after the pandemic uh, started. I was going to say, I totally understand. I had just gotten into being a music director for a, a group of kids just before the pandemic as well. And these kids were like, this is our first musical that we've ever done. And it's so much fun, you know, and then right afterward, they, they, the hammer came down. So totally. As artists, I think we all went through different stages throughout the pandemic of being like, okay, well, let's just do this for the greater good. We just have to wait this out. This is a bummer. This has been three months now. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of death. There's a lot of sadness. The city is becoming this strange, quiet place we had not previously seen. And, you know, it was like then this this emptiness of not having an artistic outlet. So I was curious as to when those, like, juices started flowing. So it's amazing that it came right out of this high of seeing you know a revival to that you experienced that crash pretty quickly it sounds like yeah yeah i did I, i'm also a uh, part of it too is that um i'm on the board of the dramatist guild foundation and so we work with uh playwrights and actors and composers and lyricists and so on who are um also very very scared because they all have you know they're they're not employees who are going to be covered by their employer during the situation they're you know, they're freelance. And, um, and when the work shut down, um, there was a, you know, a great deal of fear there. I, uh, you know, I, I really don't encourage people to write about it because it's just like, I can't wait till it to be over. And then I never want to think about it again. Uh, but I have to say in this case, in, in the case of tonight at the stage door, I've been, you know, it's, it's really been done a lot. And um, probably it's probably been I have, you know, a lot of plays uh, that I've written. Uh, this has probably been produced more than any um, because of the situation, I guess very relatable, I think, to, to artists across the board, you know, um, I obviously as a New Yorker, you know, was like, oh yeah, I know that feeling of like your world kind of collapsing. And uh, what did you refer to it as Chelsea? Um, Purgatory or like limbo for actors, it seemed, you know, like. Yeah. And even now, as we go forward, I mean, they, I think Bruce Springsteen opened tonight or last night uh, back on Broadway. And even with shows announcing their openings, uh, you know, my wife and I are being super cautious. We've been vaccinated. We're fully vaccinated and so on and so forth. But the thought of, you know, because I don't think we know everything yet, you know, so it still makes me a little nervous. So I'm not ready to raise as, as much as I'm dying to get back to live theater. Um, you know, I, I'm still a little concerned about that. So it's going to take some time, you know. And we went through this thing, and um, you probably remember, uh, with 9-11, it was sort of the same, like, how long is it going to take for Broadway to come back? How long will it be before the tourists come back? And, and, it, and in fact, it, it didn't take that long. Once, once it was, you know, sort of done, it, uh, and I'm hoping that's, that's what will happen with COVID, that people will come back. Talk to us how you got into theater, how you became, have you always been a playwright? Did you come in as an actor, director? Talk to us about your background and how you landed here. All right, so um, I'll try to keep this a bit very brief. Uh, so I grew up in Cleveland. Um, I come from, not to start the violins playing, but I, I came from a broken home and was sort of, my father left us when I was eight and just left. And um, 
left my mother with three kids. And, uh, you know, when I think back on it, I didn't feel it at the time, but we must have really been struggling. I mean, she was working like part-time at Sears and so on and so forth. And I really, and his leaving really sort of messed me up. And I, and I was sort of a, you know, C minus student and so on. Um, then I had this teacher in ninth grade who adopted me. Uh, and she, um, you know, uh, took me under her wing. Um, she was doing a production of Oliver, and she, and she cast me in the show, which was exciting for me. I'd never done anything like that in this ninth grade. And then she was taking a group of kids to New York City for um, spring break, and they were going to see four Broadway shows, and, and she invited me to go. And it was, I forget what it was, say it was $1,000. I don't know that it was that much, but whatever it was, it might as well have been $100 million because mm. we had no money. And so she said, you know what, you can, you can work for me and I'll, and I will pay for your trip. You can, you know, clean my classroom afterwards and you can, um, you know, help, help, you know, straighten out the desks and whatever. And I will pay for So she did. And we saw four Broadway shows. It changed my life. I suddenly became very serious about school. Um, I started pursuing a lot of theater in Cleveland. I did a lot of community theater and so on and so forth. And, um, and she absolutely, you know, changed my life. And I, even when I went on to high school, I then came back and I was her male chaperone for the ninth graders that went every year for several years. So it was really, it was really kind of great. Then um, when I was um, going to, between senior year of high school and college, there was an ad in the thespian, you know, high school theater newspaper for a theater school in New York for the summer, summer session. And it was called the New York Academy of Theatrical Arts, not to be confused with, confused with the American Academy of Theatrical Arts. So it was it was two thousand dollars for the summer session, which again, mine's will have been a hundred million. But I saved and saved and saved. Um, I got this actress friend of, that I'd done theater with in Cleveland, who lived in New York. Now she let me stay with her three roommates in the studio apartment, or four of us in the studio. And I and my friends are so excited because I'm going to this theater school for the summer, and I'm so excited. I get to the first day of school, and there's a padlock on the door, about a thousand kids out front. It was a con. The guy had taken $2,000 from all these kids across the country after wow. advertising in the Thespian newspaper, magazine, whatever it was. And that was, and I thought, oh my God. So I couldn't go home. I was too embarrassed. My, you know, my friends were so excited. So, so I got a job at Modell Sporting Goods as a security guard, which was so ridiculous. My job was to take the weapons away from the people as they walked to the door <laughs> for minimum wage. You know? So, um, but it was a great experience for me because um, I stayed with these three actors, actresses who um, one had gone to Northwestern. I mean, they all had, you know, really good backgrounds, and none of them got anywhere. They auditioned and auditioned, and really just never didn't get anywhere, at least for the summer that I was there. And I, I just thought, and I and I watched one of them sort of really deteriorate. And I thought, okay, this is not what I want to do. I went back to Cleveland, became a retailer, finished finished college, became a retailer, and um, I eventually became. Um, a cosmetic buyer, and then I was hired by Estee Lauder, and then I eventually became the president of a number of cosmetic companies. This wasn't like over a year or two. This is over decades, but I was the president of Yves Saint Laurent, mm. I was the president of Dolce Gabbana, Gucci, um, and a number of lines. And through that, um, now that I'm on this career, through that whole period, I never stopped uh, loving theater. I never stopped playwriting. So when I was working in these in these sort of heavy jobs. Um, I would wake up at four in the morning and work from four till seven on a play. And then I would go to work. Wow. And I found it was a wonderful time to write. I still do it. Um, it the whole world is asleep. <laughs> and for a playwright, you can just be in your own head and just concentrate. 
And so I've written um, most of my plays at that hour. And, um, and through the, um, even through my career when I was still, uh, now I'm retired, but when I was uh, still working as uh, in the cosmetics industry, um, I would occasionally do a, um, an equity stage reading or a production, and I would send my plays out, and occasionally my plays would get selected, and, and I would go see them and whatever, and, um, and that's what did it. Now that I'm retired, I am working as hard as a playwright as I did as, you know, the president of a cosmetic company with, you know, 600 employees, <laughs> you know. It's, it's, a, it's a real, um, I'm really dedicated to it. I spend a lot of time writing. I also spend a lot of time submitting. I submit like 2,000 plays a year to theaters around the country and around, and around the world, really, English-speaking English countries. And I love it. So, and, and I've never stopped seeing, through all that period, from ninth grade till today, um, I, I've never stopped watching theater. I, I, I'm real, I, I think it has a huge impact on people's lives. That is such yeah. a touching, beautiful, kind of amazing, epic story. That That's a play in its own right. Yeah. Have, I mean, we hear a little bit of that biographical material um, in Tonight at the Stage Door with the young actor who's been raised by a single mother. Um, have you ever incorporated other parts of your story into plays? I did. I have a play, I have a play um, uh, that is sort of a... Um, a reinterpretation of that. And this was inspired too by uh, Richard Abbott and did a series of pictures of his father. And each day he took a picture of them. It's like so eerie because you can see each day that the father looks, he goes from like terrified to a little calmer, almost at peace. And the last picture is his eyes closed. It's like chilling. And I saw it, I probably saw it 20 years ago at a gallery in Boston and it stuck with me. So that's sort of, it's, it's, based on my life and that and that uh, Richard Evans story. Wow. Um, Actually, I, I had a question about, um, I saw on one of your websites that you were, or that you are also a librettist and a lyricist as well? Yes. Okay. Um, I've written, um, I'm actually working on a musical right now with, I'm doing book and lyrics with a, a British composer. And it's, um, it's called Illusion. And it's, um, there's this, there's a guy who in the 20s, like at the turn of the century and through the 20s, was more famous than uh, like Charlie Chaplin. And he, he made, he was the highest paid entertainer in the world. His whole thing was dressing as a woman. Women were fascinated with him. His name was Jul Julian L. Tinge. And then he went to Hollywood and he made a movie with Valentino and um, this Virginia Rappé, young actress was in it named Virginia Rappé. She actually is the victim of, I don't know if you're aware of it, but the Fatty Arbuckle murder rape case where all of all the religious groups, all the women's groups, the Hayes Act went into effect and Hollywood was basically shut down. Yeah. And it became illegal as part of, well, homosexuality was already illegal. Um, this was also the time of prohibition. And now uh, even a man dressing as a woman or putting on women's clothing was illegal. So he lost his entire career. Mm. And he had he had a house which is now owned by Spielberg. Steven Spielberg now lives in this house. But he had the largest home in California, and he lost everything. His, he lost his entire fortune, lost his career, and so on and so forth. And that's what this, that's what this happy musical is about. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's really awesome. to help um, you know, young LGBTers today realize that this is what they're going through. This is not new. This has been going on for centuries. And, um, and Julian L. Tinge is a, is a sad character because he helps so many people, and particularly young women, to be confident, be who they are, and stand up for what they believe. But he could never do it for himself. 
And as a result of that, you know, his life came sort of crashing down. I come from musical theater, so that's my... <laughs> I love to, Yeah, I had to I ask music. about that one. Same too. That's I'm a singer as well. So that's fascinating. Um, so you mentioned you've retired from kind of the fashion, fashion and cosmetic world that you were so involved in, and now you are full-time playwriting. You said that you submit 2,000 plays a year, roughly? Yes. That is... Uh, less, probably less this year because of, of COVID. There's... there's somewhat less opportunities but for the past three years it's been about two thousand a year that's, i know it's insane that right? that's <laughs> fascinating yes that's i'd awesome. love i'd love for you to talk a little more about that because we really here we're focusing so much on playwrights and process and how each different playwright makes this work because it is out of many of the other parts of theater it's a little more solitary you know the actors were coming in we're together you're quite solitary in the beginning of your process so um you said you like to write early in the mornings talk to us too about how you've developed this sense of such you know a prolific sense of writing a and b you're you've got some musicals in there too but are you doing full-length plays are these mostly 10-minute one-act plays talk to us about um your breadth of work so I have I, both. Um, I have um, I have about eight completed full-length plays, um, four musicals, and then a slew, probably twenty um, ten-minute plays. And um, the you're right about. I mean, I'm I feel really fortunate because um, in order to succeed in business, pardon the pun, mm-hmm. um, how to succeed in business, um, it takes you know it takes a lot. You you have to stay focused and and drive and driven. And get it done, and so on and so forth. And um, you know, and in my career, um, starting as an assistant buyer through you know these presidencies, I, I did. I was very, very aggressive about getting my job done. Um, because I have that, I it's easy for me to apply to playwriting. But you're right. I have a lot of friends who are super talented playwrights who never who never get produced because they don't send anything out. They're, they're not at all aggressive about it. They just want to write. And um, and you do have to be aggressive. It is very, very competitive. Most of the theaters that I send stuff to, if they send me a confirmation letter or uh, either an acceptance or a regrets letter, it, they're often like, we received 350 submissions. We've re- received 800 submissions. You know, So it's very competitive. They're looking for two or three or four and they're getting 800 submissions. So you do have to be aggressive. I find that there's so many other parts of my life that I can go back and apply to my life as an artist. You know, I'm sure Chelsea, you've experienced the same thing as well, right? Oh yeah. And you know what's funny? I used to work also in um, fragrance cosmetics. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I worked for a company called Arcade Beauty. Um, Yeah, Yeah. so I I totally understand, like, that particular side of the industry was ridiculously high-paced, like, for no reason, (laughs) Um, which I think, yeah, it it really does go hand-in-hand, those life lessons that you learn from other places, you know. So when you sit down to write, you're clearly very focused, you've got your audience in mind a little bit, you've got a bit of a business plan, Uh, what... Uh, do you always plan if it's going to be a 10-minute play, if it's going to be a full-length play? Are you going off of a prompt or the submission request? Um, is that something you pre-plan? Are you someone who lets the characters talk? We've heard a variety of different things. So I'd love to know what your mindset is when you actually sit down to put um, fingers to keyboard. 
I'm, I'm mostly, I let the characters talk. There's, uh, you know, I have, I have a friend who is a playwright who's um, amazing because he's like Mozart. He has the entire play done in his head and then he starts to type. Mm. I am not that. I, I have nothing in my head. So I, what I tend to do is um, I, I really like uh, plays that are based on a real story. I do, I think I do know if it's, um, if it's a 10 minute play I'm writing. I can't think of a case where I thought I was going to do a full length and I ended up doing a 10 minute. I have, however, because of prompts that you get from some of the theaters, taken a scene out of a full length play and converted it a bit so it, it had a beginning, middle, and an end to itself and became a 10 minute play. But it's actually the scene of a, of a, of a longer work. You know, I've done that. Yeah, that's a lot of a lot of times um, our playwrights have said that they will kind of just massage out. <laughs> things for to get to their full length i mean the the reality of the 10 minutes although I, you know I, there are um, carol churchill a wonderful british playwright um put together a whole series of from one minute to i guess 10 minute plays into one evening and she called it love and information and it was just you know all these characters one after another um, in these short plays blackout and then up would be the next scene so you can do that, and I I did it with um, with four of my ten minute plays and made sort of an, uh, an evening out of it. Um, the ten minute play festivals, it's a good challenge. It's it's um, you know it's it's not a skit. I mean that's that's the difference between a ten minute play and a Saturday Night Live skit. I mean these really should have in. It's a challenge because your the playwright has to introduce characters, introduce the conflict, build that conflict, and and end it you know, resolve it one way or another in 10 minutes. So that part's fun from a, a challenge sort of standpoint. The reality of it is a 10 minute play really isn't gonna go very far other than be in a lot of festivals, which is fun, but it's not, you can't make a living at it. <laughs> it is frustrating though, because if with full length plays um, and particularly musicals, but with full length plays, it's, it's obviously much harder to get them produced. When you do, it's very exciting. Speaking of that, how do you feel about this uptick in um revivals that we've seen well this but we've had a lot of discussions about that because what we're all trying to figure out now is what is the appetite going to be post-pandemic i mean i really do think as horrible as this time has been um that when we come out of this pandemic it is going to be like the roaring 20s as it was in the last major you know a century ago um in the last major pandemic um i think people are are so i mean We've, we've just begun now to, you know, go out and eat and whatever. And I had like my first steak and it was like the best steak I'd ever had my whole life. And my first vodka and tonic was the best vodka and tonic I'd had in a century, you know? And so I, I just think the, you know, when it's clear and done and, and safe, I think it's going to explode. I think we're all going to go out and live our lives. We're going to travel. We're going to try to do everything because we know what it was like not to be able to do that for this period of time. Um, what we don't know and we're trying to figure out is, what will the appetite be for theater? Is it going to be, you know, more jukebox musicals? I hope not. Um, is it going to be, um, you know, revivals of Rodgers and Hammerstein because people just want escapism? Or is it going to be things like slave play and, you know, and other plays that really address today's issues? And um, I heard when I was a kid, I heard Hal Prince speak um, in, at the Cleveland Playhouse. And he said, somebody said to him, Mr. Prince, all of your work is so dark. You know, at th that point, I think they were just doing Sweeney Todd. You know, all, your, all of your plays are so dark. Don't you ever just want to do a comedy? And Hal Prince's answer was, you know, I've got a funny wife and kids that make me laugh, 
When I go to the theater, I want to be a different person when I leave that building than I was when I entered it. I think we do have the ability to change lives during those magic moments when people are sitting in a live theater um, with live actors on the stage. So I'm very excited, just to the same as you, to see what blossoms out of this, you know, post-pandemic. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. Are you writing anything specifically um, with that in mind of this big kind of resurgence of theater and perhaps change of theater? Do you have anything, you know, you were inspired at the beginning of the pandemic to write Tonight at the Stage Door. Do you have anything right now that you're churning out to hope to, to put out in this new wave? I have a play called The Springville Armadillo that I'm, I'm sort of re-editing now. And it's about um, back in the 30s, um, which I, I didn't know anything about this, but back in the 30s, there was actually a pandemic of leprosy in America, and it was in the southern states, as a matter of fact, it was in the southern states. And because of the whole um, connection with leprosy and the Bible and sinners and so on and so forth, wealthy families at the time, if one of their family members uh, was thought to have gotten leprosy, it was a huge embarrassment for the family because they thought, you know, the church, their church-going uh, friends were going to criticize them for that. So they built this, this uh, hospital uh, which I call Springvale, that's not its real name. And they would send you, they would, you would send your loved ones there. Their names would be changed. You were never allowed to visit them. And they were just sent there basically to die. And what happened was that was in the 30s. In the um, 90s, uh, the property, you know, leprosy has been curable since the 40s. And, and, uh, and the thing had become a VA hospital, had gone through all these changes. And, and now a shopping center wanted to buy the property to build a shopping center, you know, shopping center company. And they had just a handful of these octogenarians still living there who were sent there back, you know, when they were just children in the thirties wow. and they don't know what to do with them. When I watch, when I uh, watch people and, and how people were being treated uh, with COVID and, you know, people out in parking lots because we couldn't deal with it all and so on and so forth. I thought, you know, um, maybe it's time to resurrect this play because it, it really, it, the whole play is about hope and, and uh, you know, and over, you know, overcoming as best we can any, any tragedy that might hit us. So I'm, I'm sort of polishing that up again oh, yeah. and um, I'm probably going to send that out. Are there ever any plays that you write that you decide, oh, you know what, this would actually be better as a musical or vice versa at all? Vice versa more. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think I think that's more driven by the fact that it's easier to get non-musicals produced than it is musicals. Um, but um, yeah, I actually have my my British playwright that or, sorry composer that I'm working with now. Um, you know, he, he there's a couple of plays that I've written that he's interested in and he thinks we can convert into musicals. We covered so much of what we wanted to talk about. Um, we do want to give you an opportunity now. Um, to kind of plug yourself and give our audiences a way to follow you and get in touch with you. So I do have a website, uh, just donaldloftus.com. Uh, um, I am on New, New Play Exchange. And um, the I have a bunch of stuff coming up, but a lot of the dates are to be announced, you know, until the theaters figure out what's happening. I have, I guess the best would be to, you know, to, to do it on the website. Um, I'm also on Facebook and uh but anyway, um, again, I do appreciate um, meeting both of you, and uh, I wish you all the best. We have we have three questions we ask every one of our playwrights at the end of every episode. So we're... yes, so 
Um, instead of saying, what is your favorite? We like to say, what is a word that makes you happy or joyful or has some sort of special meaning to you? A word. Um, I think gratitude, because I think that that sparks love and friendship and appreciation and, and art. Keeping in that theme, we like to know what is a place that brings you joy, that holds great memories or meaning for you, um, that is very special, a place. Times Square, I think, is, is it for me. Um, I, I've been lucky because in, in my um, professional career, um, I've, I've been able to travel the world. Uh, when I was president of a Procter & Gamble company, we would go every month to a different European country. So I, I've seen a lot, and there's some beautiful places in the world. I love London, I love Paris, I love Bali. But nothing makes me feel better than Manhattan. And I think it's in particularly Times Square where the, when the theater is you know, all lit up. Um, and I think it's because of the story I told earlier. It's that ninth grade trip that changed my life. Yeah, so last but not least, what is an object? And I think I might know what you might say. What is an object that has meaning to you? I guess what my my prized possession is my Mac computer. Is that an object? <laughs> <laughs> because it's, uh, you know, I first of all, I'm with it more than I'm with my wife. I'm with it, you know, nonstop. And, uh, and it's really allowed me to, you know, produce and really have a second, you know, pardon the pun, have a second act. I, uh, I thought at first you were going to say the ghost light. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was going to say a Tony award, but then I thought, well, I haven't actually yet received one. Oh man. <laughs> Do you enjoy a challenge? Is your imagination stuck in overdrive? Is your attention span shorter than a Cubs World Series streak? Do you want your work read on Lights Up? Then consider entering our one-page playwright competition, Propped. Incorporate three of the following props into a one-page play. A mannequin covered with confessions. A decapitated head in a duffel bag. A stage ghost light. Green cheese. An old-fashioned camera. Two telephones. A cloth face mask. And a ring light. Create a one-page play using any of the three items and submit it to lights up at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com if your piece is selected we will read it at the end of one of our episodes now go forth and write lights up is a podcast produced by the ensemble theater of chattanooga a 501c3 nonprofit independent theater company located in southeast tennessee Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. Graphics by Jamie Goodnight. And Casey Keelan as the associate producer. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ETC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. Or 
you can become a monthly subscriber on Patreon and get access to exclusive content. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Lights Up is hosted by Anchor, a Spotify company. The easiest way to make a podcast.